This morning we're going to be back in Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. Um, as we've been walking through these last few chapters, 24, 25, Jesus has been talking about the end of the world. And now he's going to talk to us specifically about the judgment that is to come. And we pick up there in the 31st verse of Matthew chapter 25. And so if you have your copy of God's Word, I want to encourage you to open it there with us so you can follow along. I want to read this text for a moment, and then we'll pray and begin to work our way through it. Again, the 31st verse of Matthew 25 When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations, and He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will place the sheep on His right, but the goats on the left. Then the King will say to those on His right, Come, you who are blessed by My Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave Me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them. Truly I say to you, As you did it to one of the least of these brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Ooh, sorry. Lord, when do we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for your word. We praise you, God, for the rescue that we have in Christ. Lord, I pray now that this day would not come upon any of us as a surprise, but instead, through your grace and kindness to us today, we would hear this word and realize that we are a part of those who will be gathered on that day of judgment. Lord, by your grace, may we hear this word and believe it and trust in Christ and cling only to him. Thank you, Father, for your word. We give you praise and glory. We ask it in your name, Lord. Amen. Well, I, I want to be honest with you this morning that um, I, I had thought through different ways in which I might um, open this message. And I thought about maybe sharing some, some times, whether it was places you had to go where you had to have a ticket or some type of bracelet to get admission. And i just be honest, it, in some ways it, it, it stuck, but in some ways it felt trivial given the task and the text that is at hand. Guys, this text here is talking about what's going to happen at the end of the world. It's talking about what is going to happen with you and me, your children and my children, your grandchildren, your family, your friends. This speaks of your coworker. This speaks of the classmate that you went to school with. 
This speaks to the person in the pew next to you. This text says that on that day, every single person from every nation, tribe, tongue, and language will be gathered before Christ, who is the glorious Son of Man, and He will separate us one from another. And your eternity and my eternity will be revealed on that day. And it, it is a moment in which there's a great weight to this text. And, and so I just wanted to be really honest and upfront with you just to say this text calls for your and my attention. It calls for our obedience. It calls for us to hear. We've been hearing about the end times through chapter 24 and 25 of what Jesus has been saying. And now he's saying, I want you to know this is what the judgment is going to bring. Chapter 26 is now going to jump into the last week of Jesus' life. And we're going to see him washing the disciples' feet and all those things. But this is kind of how, how Matthew closes out this final portion of Jesus' teaching ministry. Right, this is kind of the culmination of what's going to happen after three years, but 30 plus years of Jesus' life. It's come down to this kind of this moment and this saying to us, this is how the end will unfold. And so I want to compel you, there's all that is in me today, to, to listen, to hear this text, to hear what the Lord is saying to us, to you and to my soul through this text, to ask the Lord, Lord, reveal to me, am I a sheep or am I a goat? Lord, will I be on your right or will I be on your left? Lord, make it known to me today. I think today this truth reverberates from this text that our response to Christ will reveal itself through our lives and determine our eternity. Your and my response to Christ will reveal itself through our lives, but it will also determine your and my eternity, our response to Jesus Christ. The text presents for us several key questions that we ought to ask, and so I'm going to ask maybe three big ones today and try to, as we try to work our way through these verses. The first question I think that is really maybe the foundational question that has to be asked is this. Who are the least of these, my brothers? Who are the least of these, my brothers? You, you may think it's, the reality is like it feels like maybe this is insignificant in the grander story. I mean, but the reality is how you interpret this one question will determine how you understand and interpret the entire story. So this question is pivotal of how you come to land on what does Jesus mean when he says, who are the least of these, my brothers? It's in fact two times in this passage that Jesus makes that statement about there's people that are the least of these. One time there in verse 40, he even says the least of these, my brothers. And given the context of the preceding statements, we might assume that Jesus is speaking generally about the poor, right? I mean, he talks about, well, I, I was sick or I was, I was thirsty and hungry and you, you gave me something to drink or something to eat. I was naked and you clothed me. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was sick or in prison. You came to visit me. And we, we would assume that Jesus must be speaking about the poor, the weakest, the least of these because they were the most vulnerable in that society and they are in ours as well. But I think how, prior to concluding that that must be what Jesus is talking about when he says the least of these, I think we need to wrestle for a moment with the text. Because in this wrestling, I think it gives us some clarity of maybe what's happening here and might prevent you and I from misinterpreting this and leading us astray. So let's look for a moment specifically at verses 40 and 45 and then kind of work our way through it. Again, asking the question, who are the least of these, my brothers? Who is Jesus speaking about here? Listen to what he said again in verse 40. And the king will answer them. Truly I say to you, as you did it to one, notice what he says here, the least of these, and then he identifies them further as my brothers, you did it to me. 
And then he speaks to the, the goats, those on his left, the unrighteous. And he says to them in verse 45, right? Because they're like, Lord, when do we see you like that and not minister to you? And he says to them, verse 45, then he will answer them saying, truly, I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. It's challenging to interpret exactly what Jesus is implying here when he says the least of these, my brothers. Again, I think the immediate assumption is he's speaking about the poor in general. But I think that this passage, as we study it, that maybe what's less clear, oftentimes throughout the Bible, what you can interpret a less clear passage is by a passage that's more clear. And so I think it would be wise for us just for a moment to wrestle with how is Matthew or how is Jesus throughout Matthew's gospel use this statement, the least of these? Like, how is he continually, what's he been referring to? How's he spoken of that? Who's he implying when he talks about the least of these? It's interesting that the title, the least of these, right, is another form of the word little ones. And Jesus uses that title also throughout. So these words are connected. When you hear the words, the least of these or the little ones, Jesus is speaking in similar terminology. You may think this is very like, well, Blake, this feels pretty technical right now. Like, bro, what are you doing? Like, again, how you interpret this is going to be key for how you interpret this entire story and then ultimately how you understand how does eternity work its way out. So look what happens here, how Jesus uses the title or the statement, the least of these or the little ones throughout the New Testament here, specifically in Matthew's gospel. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 42, Jesus says this, and whoever, again, similar kind of type of context, and whoever gives one of, the, one of these, notice what he titles here, little ones, even a cup of cold water, because, here's the reason, he is a disciple. Truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Look further, Matthew chapter 18. But whoever causes, notice what he says here again, one of these little ones, right? So these least of these, notice what he says about them here who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. Throughout Matthew's gospel, this is, this is just a couple examples. When Jesus uses the title little ones or the least of these, he's speaking to of those who are his disciples, of those who believe in him. This is important. And then we hear in verse 40, right? He says that if someone calls us, right, one of the, whatever you've done for one of the least of these, my brothers... Right, the, the word my brothers is used sometimes in, in Matthew's gospel to refer to, like we would say with our own, right? That, that's my brother and my sister. Right? Family relationships, biological, right? Brothers and sisters. But here, Jesus also, right throughout Matthew's gospel, when he uses the word my brother, can also speak of our spiritual kin, to speak of our brothers and sisters in Christ, of the family of God, so to speak. Listen to this one example in Matthew chapter 12, verse 48 to 50. But he replied to the man who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Remember, Jesus has been meeting and, and you say, listen, your, your mom and your brothers are outside. They want to meet with you. And Jesus says, he replies to the man who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples. Listen to that. Again, the question is, who are Jesus' brothers? Right? And he's, he's defining that. Stretching out his hand toward his disciples. He said, here are my mother and my brothers. Four. Whoever does, notice what he says here, the will of my Father in heaven, notice what he calls them, his brother or sister or mother. Thus being a disciple, which is doing the will of the Father, makes you a spiritual brother or sister of Jesus. 
One final example, in Matthew chapter 28, Jesus has just been raised from the dead and, and, and they've, they've encountered him. And listen to what he says to them back. Verse 10 of Matthew 28. Jesus says to them, do not be afraid, but go and tell who? My brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. Now we know that Jesus, James, who writes the book of James, was one of Jesus' half-brothers. But obviously Jesus is speaking to the disciples himself. So my point is, like when we hear Jesus speaking of the least of these, or my brothers, he's speaking of believers. This is important. Why? Because according to scholars, Matthew's usage of little ones, or the least of these, throughout his gospel, and throughout church history, has been interpreted to be, in fact, Jesus' disciples. I think it's important, because I think there's those who hear this text about visiting the sick and caring for the poor and doing these things, and they immediately begin to assume that that must mean that if you live a good enough life, then you'll get into heaven. That's not what Jesus is teaching here. And so I've taken a few moments to try to work through it. And you may think, man, that, that, was a lo- that was a lot, but it's pivotal. Because if not, you hear this text and just think, if I'm a good enough person, then Jesus will welcome me. If I do enough good works, then surely that's what he's saying because he says, hey, listen, if you care for somebody who's sick or somebody that's been in prison, you've gone to visit them, you've welcomed a stranger, that must mean that you're good. Jesus is after something more here. Now, we'll get to it in a moment. This isn't dismissing the fact that you and I aren't called to care for the poor. So you've got to wait with me, hold with me there that. But I'm trying to caution you and I that we don't take this text and make it about just being good enough people. That's not what Jesus is after. So when he speaks of the least of these, or the little ones, or my brothers, he's saying, when you care for the disciples, when you care for my followers. You may may wonder, well, Blake, can this even be substantiated anywhere else in the New Testament? Is there any other example of someone that, like, was sick or in prison or that was a follower of Jesus that might make an example of how we understand caring for the least of these, and it means the disciples? Well, I'm glad you asked. That's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23, 26, and 27, just for a moment. You can see the whole context and read it later, but I want to give you just a couple snippets of it. Listen to what Paul says there, beginning in verse 23 of 2 Corinthians 11. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more, notice what he says here, imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death, danger from my own people, right? He said, I'm a stranger amongst my own people even. In toil and hardship through many a sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Right? Cold indicates lack of shelter, exposure, at lack of clothing adequately, hunger, thirst, imprisonments. It's the very thing that Jesus has been saying, right? Whatever you've done for the least of these. If you welcomed a stranger, if you cared for, if you, you, you gave a cup of cold water in my name to one of the least of these, right? If you fed the hungry, if you, you gave thirst to the thirsty, or if you gave a drink to the thirsty, right? If you welcome the stranger in, Jesus is saying throughout, that is the lifestyle of my disciples. And the reality is, why this text is so hard today is, because we don't see that here in America. It doesn't make sense to us. But if we follow this text throughout church history and throughout much of the world right now, you would realize and I would realize that the reality is that most of God's disciples are in fact the least of these. And if Paul came to you, he might come to you thirsty or hungry. He might show up here with no money in his pocket. He can't stay at the Holiday Inn. 
he has no money to eat after church today maybe right paul is saying listen i i've experienced being cold and exposed i've known not to be welcomed in and so having to sleep outside under the elements and we know paul was a tent maker but Paul's point is, and I think Jesus' point is, is that disciples are going to be the least of these. So guys, I'm trying my best at the very beginning today to answer for you and I, to remind us that this text is not saying to you and I that if you're just kind to the poor and you help other people, you're just a good person, that God will welcome you on that day. That's not what Jesus is ultimately after. Now, that is an outworking of this, but the primary response is Jesus saying, how do you respond to my gospel proclamation? Because the people that come to you sharing this gospel will not be the greatest. It'll be the least of these, and you'll hear it, and you'll wonder, and you'll ponder, should I even follow, should I even hear and obey this gospel? Maybe this illustration makes it clear. Imagine it's the end of the world. We have all the good people on one side and all the bad people on the other. All, all the good people are, are the sheep on the right and all the bad people are the goats on the left. I just, just want to, maybe this would be clarifying. Guys, if that was really the case, then that would mean that the entire world would be on the left as goats and only Jesus would be the sheep on the right. Maybe that helps set the context of what's happening here. We do not earn our way into the kingdom of heaven by being good enough people, by doing enough good works. That's not what Jesus is teaching. He's compelling us to say, how did you respond to the gospel message? Because those that come proclaiming the gospel are going to be the least of these. Again, we've not seen that in America, so this, con- this concept seems so foreign to us. But if we walked in other lands, if you walked in places like Afghanistan, if you saw and experienced places in Asia and others where it was illegal or the church can't gather, we would realize that it's so often the believers who are the least of these. So I want to ask you, how have you responded to this gospel message? Do you hear this story and is it further just affirmed for you? Man, I'm a good person. I do a lot of good stuff. I'm, I'm nice to my neighbors. I serve. I try to help out. I'm just, I'm a good guy, I'm a good girl. Guys, this text is calling us to remind us to hear the gospel and believe on it. So I think we need to ask maybe a, a follow-up question to this. Well, what's the basis of that separation or, or what, and what's the result of it? Like Jesus is teaching here and, and saying to us that, that there's going to be an internal separation of people forever and ever. What's the basis of this? Listen again to Matthew chapter 25, 31 to 33. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations, and He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will place the sheep on His right, but the goats on His left. The story provides like two comparisons, right? Of people, of the sheep and the goats. Shepherds, and, and, and from my understanding, is shepherds would often have sheep and goats together. They would graze differently just based on their diets. So the point is the separation is something that people in that day and time would understand is that they would often be together in the fields and then at night they would separate them. I don't know about you, but you ever seen those crazy goat videos? Right? You may understand why. But again, they would bring separation between the two. 
And Jesus is saying this is exactly what's going to happen at the end of time, that they're together. And at times, whereas I had a brother tell me that knows much about goats and sheep, he said, listen, at times it's really hard to determine or differentiate by the way they act. You can't tell, is that a sheep or is that a goat? By the way they're acting often, they often mimic one another. But it's only later that you begin to realize the true heart of that individual, so to speak, in this context. Jesus says, I'm going to come at the end. I'm going to separate one from another. I think, again, based upon our work earlier, we're clued into why this makes sense. To feed the hungry, to give the thirsty a drink, to welcome a stranger in your home, to, give the, to take care of those who are sick or in prison. It's not saying to us, just be a good person. Jesus' followers are typically those who are suffering, and the least of these. Now, again, five years ago, we may preach this text, and it has even less hearing in this audience than it does now. But as you look around your culture, you can start to realize that, guess what? If you stake certain doctrinal stands upon the truth of the gospel, it's going to cost you with family relationships. Some of you have already experienced that. Some of you, by standing upon gospel truth, it's going to put you in a place with your employer on your job site that's going to create a major moment of rub and lining up. It's different. It's changing because of your embrace of the gospel and what the truth of the gospel says. I think it's interesting at least that the sheep are surprised that they've served Christ himself. Listen to their answer in verse 37. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? And when do we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when do we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Notice the question, when did we see you? When did we see you? When did we see you? Surely this isn't just assuming, again, a one-time situation. This is their ongoing lifestyle. It was their daily obedience of loving others and serving others that God has placed before them, specifically other believers, but at the same time, it's all those that God puts in our path. Isn't it amazing that God so closely associates with the lowest of lows? Right? I mean, think about that. How often do you think about God? Christ in the flesh, being hungry or thirsty, stranger, naked. When do we think about Christ himself being sick or in prison? But guys, it's the reminder that Christ identifies with his people. He's with us. He's present with us. This shouldn't, again, this shouldn't shock us because on the road to Damascus, remember Saul of Tarsus, he's breathing out murderous threats against the church and he's headed off to Damascus to put more in prison. And Christ encounters him on that road. And as he encounters Christ, there's that moment where he says, the Lord says to him, Saul, Saul, is it hard for you to kick against the goats? And Saul asked that question, who are you, Lord? And Jesus' answer in verse 5 of Acts 9 is, is just, it's clarifying. He says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now contemplate that for a moment. Where is Jesus that moment when he answers that? He's in heaven. So how could he say that Paul is persecuting him? Because Jesus says, when you mess with my people, you mess with me. He is literally there with his people, abiding in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And Christ says that when you mess with them, you're messing with me. This story, guys, is teaching us that when you accept Jesus' followers and ultimately their message, you're accepting Christ himself. 
Moreover, it's assumed that those who have accepted this message are willing and ready to serve the least of these in this world. Thus we aren't shocked when the goats or those on his left are told these words. Listen to what they're told. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, and the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Notice why they're called, they're cursed. Look what he says to them. And again, the other were, were called the blessed, right? And he, Jesus refers to those on his right, the, the sheep, as, as the, the righteous. But he now calls these the cursed. And notice why they're departing, right? Notice where they're departing to. It's into the eternal fire. He notice he says here, it's prepared for specifically the devil and his angels. This isn't God's intent for his creation not to worship him and to spurn him, but instead we're rejecting the gospel. We're rejecting his messengers. Even this morning, you may be deciding already, you know what, this preacher isn't very good or this message isn't very strong. And so you've already decided you're going to close shop this week and move on with your life. That's what's so amazing about this gospel is that God uses the weakest. He delights in using foolishness. Those that others would say, surely someone else can do it better. But God's put you in that family. He's put me at that doorstep. He's put our family in those relationships with those people. Guys, God is desiring to use us to share the gospel. But the... The goats on the left, Jesus says that when he was hungry, they didn't feed him. When he was thirsty, they didn't give him a drink. When he needed clothes, they didn't clothe him. When he's a stranger, they didn't welcome him in. When he was sick or in prison, they didn't come to visit him. They're shocked by his words, right, um, of what he's saying here. Listen to their response. And they also answer saying, Lord... When did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Listen to that statement. And did not minister to you. Like, who would be so foolish as not to minister to God himself? That's what they're asking. Like, it just seems like, I mean, who would actually do that? Why would someone not minister to God himself? I mean, how could someone have Jesus standing there and reject him? And Jesus says, you do that very thing when you reject my messengers and those who are bringing the gospel to you. It's an amazing moment. I think it's a reminder that there's a gift in being here this moment to hear the gospel being proclaimed. That you could hear it and have an opportunity to get right today. Right? Listen to Jesus' warning. Then he will answer them saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal fire. Guys, there's hope that you can be spared from the eternal fire, the eternal punishment that is to come. I think I maybe said, but the righteous into eternal fire, but the righteous into eternal life. I want to ask you, where will you end up? Have you contemplated for a moment your eternity of where you will end up? Where will you spend eternity? Last week we had an opportunity to go door to door. And I just want to briefly bring that before you again. The good news of the gospel is that, well, there's God's design. That God created you and I in his own image. 
to know Him and to worship Him. He made us male and female in His own image to worship and glorify Him forever, to enjoy in relationship with Him. But the reality is, guys, we sin. We, we've departed from God's good design. And because of our sin, we walked away from what God has called us to, and we've cherished and loved other things rather than God. This leads to a place of brokenness where we, instead of pursuing God further, we just keep pursuing the lostness. We keep pursuing, trying to find, maybe this will make me happy if I get this amount of money or if I have this or if I'm the smartest or I'm the best athlete or I'm the most well-known or I'm the most liked or I'm the best looking or I'm the strongest or I'm like whatever it may be, we're after it. And it, it expresses itself through addictions, through seeking it, through relationships, just on and on. But this brokenness will never hear. But the good news is there's the gospel. The gospel that God in His love sent forth His Son. And guess what His Son did? He perfectly lived God's design. Perfectly lived it out. Obedience to God's design every day, every moment. He never once sinned. He never once lived a moment in brokenness. So you know what that means? That when He went to the cross, guess whose sin He's dying for? Ours. He's dying for our sin and brokenness. And the good news of the gospel is, is that if we will repent and believe, turning from that sin and brokenness, how? By the power of the Holy Spirit, as we studied last week. By the power of God's Spirit, we turning from our sin, seeing what our sin truly is, and seeing the beauty of Christ, we believe and hope in Him that He is our righteousness, that He's filled God's design. Do you see how foolish it might be to reject Christ and think somehow you'll be good enough? Guys, we're broken and sinful. Let's be honest. Sometimes the reality is our, even our good works are, are misguided. I don't know about you, but sometimes I struggle even with my motives of doing good things. It's so that you might praise me or somebody might like me more. I might appear more like this. Sometimes my heart is that jacked up. But the Bible says for those who repent and believe on the gospel, they are forgiven and redeemed and filled with the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we can recover and pursue God's design and live it out. Last week, when maybe around this time or so, we were sharing the gospel. After we had shared that just briefly with one individual, I said, Sir, I called him by name, I said, Where are you? And he took his finger and he said, pointed right to that sin and brokenness. He said, I'm sin and brokenness. And it was a moment just to let him know that the good news is there's a God who can rescue us from sin and brokenness. And his name is Jesus. And he came to rescue us. And that brother, right, just asking him to respond to the gospel right there in the midst of the street. Just hearing the gospel, would he receive it or would he reject it? The call is for you and I today. Where are you? If I asked you where are you in the midst of these three circles, where might you see yourself? Are you in the midst of sin and brokenness? If so, the call is to repent and believe. For those of you who have already repented and believed, the call is to continue to recover and pursue by the power of the Spirit to live God's design, to live in obedience to these commands, to show love to the least of these. And I think that brings us maybe to our last question today. And it's this, how do we live in response? Because my assumption is for some of you, you felt rubbed today. Almost as if like the poor or the least of these in this society or this culture or this community, almost as if they're being overlooked. And like that feels almost offensive to you. 
And I'm thankful for that. If like your heart in that is because Christ has so redeemed you that you can't wait and you desire to serve and to minister. But I also want to pull back so that you and I can look in the mirror and just be certain that we're not doing those things because we think that's what makes us acceptable to God. Do you see the difference in approach? That our approach of pursuing the lost is a fruit of our salvation. It's not the root of our salvation. That's what we're after because I think there are many who think that doing enough good things, and on that day they will say, Lord, Lord, did we not feed the poor in Greensburg? Lord, Lord, didn't we, didn't we care for them? Lord, Lord, didn't we help clothe? Lord, Lord, didn't we welcome them? Lord, Lord, didn't we provide for them? Lord, He'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. As Paul, or as Paul, as Todd preached the words of Paul in Galatians 2, Galatians 2 and 21 says, For if righteousness could be obtained through the law, then Christ died for nothing. If being a good enough person today will get you into heaven, then Christ died for no reason, Paul said. But I do think that we do need to wrestle with that question, how do we live in response and so I've worked hard today. I don't feel like I've labored very well or very clearly. I feel like it was clear in my mind, but it's not come out very clearly. But I thank God that he can overcome even our weaknesses and our stumblings. Hallelujah. I praise God that even maybe we don't feel like maybe today was my best day. Man, it wasn't my best day. But I am thankful that the power of the Holy Spirit delights to work in and through our weakness. I'm excited in that. I hope in that gospel this morning. So I want to ask that last question. How do we live in response to this? And I think one verse would really capture this text well. And I want to, I want to leave this with you as we talk about a couple applications of it. Listen to Paul in Galatians 6 verse 10. I think again, this, this has to echo Matthew 25 that we've been studying today. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. I, I, I really feel like, man, that's a framework that helps us understand and interpret what we've been studying in Matthew 25. Are we called to do good to everyone? Absolutely. But especially to those who are of the household of faith. So you might be asking, well, what's that look like for us now as a church, right? Again, as we think about others around us, it's a reminder that we feed hungry kids that God sends us on Sundays and Wednesdays. And, and you may be thinking that that's not a big deal. But I, I want to share just briefly a story with you that reminds you of how God works in and through that. Continually, uh, just on the rise of school, we're having conversations of how are we going to share the gospel today? Who's one friend at school today you're going to talk to about Jesus? Who's someone that you're going to invite to church? And... Sometimes we hear stories back that, others we don't. And so this past week, we got a phone call, or I guess Emily got a message from a parent and just said, hey, we want to check, see about service times and what was going to be happening coming up on Wednesday. Because one of our kiddos had been talking in their class, inviting their friend to come to church, and their parents now were reaching out. And it's just this reminder of, like, how God uses the least of these. When we think about who's going to go out and invite people this week, I'm not probably looking out thinking, man, there's probably a lot of first graders in here. They're going to be those going out doing. But the reminder, that's what's so confounding about the gospel. Is the gospel can take a first grader and use him. Christ can use a first grader in his class just to invite and share the gospel with someone. 
And it, it, man, I'm just excited. Talk about that. How Jesus says about a stranger, welcome in. It's, I just saw him and his little buddy walking up the ramp on, on Wednesday. And I saw him reach over and hold his hand as he was walking in. I was like, dude, that's it. When strangers come and people you see around you that you don't know and recognize, do you look to welcome their hand? I know in COVID that's going to be weird, right? But do you look to welcome them? And so Wednesday night after church, we're just out running. And, dude, I was just like jacked through the roof. It's like, bro, that's what you know, man. That's, that's just, man, I'm, I'm just excited that you're not ashamed to talk to someone about inviting them to church or coming. He's like, Dad, that's what you know. They're going to be here on Sunday. I was like, why is that? He's like, because we got chocolate donuts. You see, my reminder of that is, is that sometimes we feel like, does it really make a difference when I'm feeding? Well, one, I think we all know there are hungry kids here in Greensburg. But I want to remind and encourage you. Sometimes we feel like the little things we do, I'm not sure how much they matter. The reality is sometimes it helps equip others, disciples, and empowers them in ways you can't imagine. That feeding a little donut, you may think, again, feels insignificant, right? When we're, we're just caring for the disciples that God sends here and pouring into them. But the reality is God's using that to encourage them and equip them in small ways. I think Jesus says when he talks to us not only about feeding the hungry, yes, we're called to do that and we strive to do that as a church, but to clothe the naked. I don't know if you realize it or not, but every Sunday we take $1 for all those who are present and we use that intentionally. So when you give each week, at least, again, we're taking $1 for every person that's present and we're using that. Maybe it's helping keep somebody's light on. Maybe it's helping take them to Dollar General and get them some food. For some of you, again, as you contemplate like this text and how you are to care for those who are in prison, maybe some of you, God begins to stir your heart to say, what would prison ministry look like if I was a part of that? How might I care for the least of these and go to them and care for them and, 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 and share the good news of the gospel with them? Notice they are, again, about the call to welcome strangers. I, I, prior to COVID, right, that was part of our intentionality as a family just to begin doing better at that, of welcoming people into our homes. Just inviting them to come in to share a meal. I want to encourage you again as it talks about to the family of God. Let's do good to everyone, especially the household of faith. Might you begin starting there? Who in this church have you had into your home recently? I know again it's COVID, so what about the previous five years? What about the previous ten? Again, I I know some of us have the gift of hospitality, and so it looks different in homes. But guys, I want to compel us to begin, right? Because oftentimes we feel like strangers in this body. We need to begin welcoming one another. And as others come, we need to invite them into our homes. That can be hard and awkward. So let's start with the body of Christ here. Let's begin welcoming one another, inviting one another, spending time together relationally with one another. And then there's the call for the sick, right? I mean, he said those who are thirsty... And hungry, give them food or drink. Those who are naked, they need to be clothed. Those who are in prison need to be visited. The stranger need to be welcomed. But to call for the sick, like what a time to hear those words. Historians throughout church history have told us that one of the amazing marks of God's people is how they care for the sick in the midst of really hard times. The year was 1527. The bubonic plague had hit Wittenberg, Germany. And there was a man there by the name of Martin Luther. You might recognize him. He was the man who went to the Roman Catholic door and nailed his 95 theses to the door. And God had already been working for the Reformation. But man, that really sparked and blew it open, right? During the bubonic plague, many were fleeing, right? And understandably so. But Luther stayed. In fact, it caused him his daughter Elizabeth her life. 
During that time, he wrote this small pamphlet entitled this, Whether Christians Should Flee the Plague. And it provides a clear articulation of the Christian epidemic response. And I just want to quote to you, again, hearing these words from 1500 during the bubonic plague of how Christians have responded to hearing this call today to care for the sick. Listen to what he says. We die at our post. Christian doctors cannot abandon their hospitals. Christian governors cannot flee their districts. Christian pastors cannot abandon their congregations. The plague does not dissolve our duties. It turns them to crosses on which we must be prepared to die. So, beloved, two questions. One, what is your response to the gospel? Have you received this gospel by repentance and faith, trusting in Christ to rescue from your sin and brokenness? Are you loving the least of these, welcoming them? And then as that extends out, yes, to the poor, right, to everyone as we have opportunity. We are in the midst of so much going on around us. I want to ask us as believers, are we modeling the love of Christ? Maybe we're not fleeing physically, but we're fleeing people. And guys, people desperately need the hope of the gospel. They need it. They must hear it. If they don't hear this gospel, they will be separated from Christ forever. You heard it in the text today. He's coming again and he will separate those who do not know him. Beloved, we as God's people, we are called to the post to share the gospel, to not shrink back. So I want to compel you in the midst of a challenging season to keep moving forward, showing Christ's love to the least of these. Let's keep being faithful as a church to keep ministering and sharing the gospel with this community. Let's keep being faithful to go to the nations and proclaim the gospel. Guys, we can't step back from our post. As Luther said, we may very well die there. But we can't risk disobedience to our master. Would you pray with me? Father, I just um, I just confess, God, this morning has felt like a fumble of a sermon. Father, of I know there's sin in my life, Lord. I repent of that, God. Maybe the things that I'm not seeing, Lord, I, I, I just ask that you would reveal that to me, God. But I know that there is an enemy who just stands in opposition, Lord, in the spiritual opposition I've experienced the last few weeks. God, I, I, I just pray that you would empower our church to pray and fast. I know that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, principalities, and spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So, Lord, whatever this opposition is, I just pray now that the power of your spirit would overcome it, Lord God. Father, I thank you that despite my weakness and despite the work of the enemy, that your gospel still goes forward. Thank you that you're going to accomplish the purpose for which you have sent it, the saving of many lives. You can hear C.W. saying, For my word that goes forth from my lips shall not return to me void, but will accomplish the work for which I've sent it. Thank you, God, for his example. Even now, I hear his words of quoting 
Isaiah 55 to me and to our church. Father, I just pray again. Lord God, I don't do it for a show. Just acknowledging that there is a real spiritual force of evil that is in opposition. And God, I just humbly ask that you, we sang it earlier, you would break every chain. You said the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. So Lord, whatever is of the enemy, Lord God, I pray that you would, you would, you would overcome it. Lord, I pray whatever is of our sinful flesh and unconfessed sin in our lives. Father, I pray that each person here would spend a few moments just examining their hearts and minds. And that there would be real confession and repentance and forsaking of sin. And God, I pray that would start with me. What a hypocrite that would be to call others to do it and not myself. Father, show us our sin. And I hear your words saying to me now, if I delighted sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Lord, I just, man, God, I just, I need you. I want them to hear the gospel clearly. I want them to experience the power of the Holy Spirit. I know none of that comes from me. So Lord, I just appeal to you right now, God, that you would overcome the work of the enemy. Lord, I pray you would strengthen our church to pray and to cry out to you and that you would humble us. Thank you for Christ. Thank you that he is our victor. He is our righteousness. Thank you that he ever lives to intercede for us. Blessed one, thank you. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who intercedes for us with words that groans cannot even express. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are interceding right now when my words fall so short. God, thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the hope that I have. The greater is he that is in us than he who is in the world. Thank you, God, that your word says that, that in our weakness, your power is perfected. Father, I just hope in you this hour. God, I just trust more in you. Again, Father, whatever is of the work of Satan, God, I pray now that you would overcome it, Father, please. And I pray that you would lead us, Lord. As I read this morning early there, Paul's word to the church at Corinth, that your kindness leads us to repentance. Lord, would you just overwhelm each of our souls with your kindness, with your grace and mercy, that you would lead us to true confession of sin, forsaking of sinful ways and attitudes and thoughts? Lord, if there's division in this church body, maybe I'm unaware, and maybe most of us are, but maybe there's division amongst believers in this room. Inner bitterness. You warn against that, Lord. That there be no bitterness develop among you and said and by it many become defiled so lord if there's bitterness in this room i just pray that your spirit who knows and searches even the depths of god would search and reveal that and that we would confess and forsake it and that we would go to our brother and sister and be restored lord i pray for marriages in this room i hear peter saying that husbands are to live with their wives in an understanding way so that nothing may hinder our prayers. So maybe, God, there might be opposition between husbands and wives in this room. And, Lord, I just pray now that there would be confession of that sin, but also there would be healing, reconciliation. Lord, I, I know that I'm a sinner, so I'm assuming that other people in this room too struggle. That's why they're here. 
and in desperate need of you. But Lord, I don't want to go on trying to preach when there's so much spiritual opposition, Lord. I know that he opposes us, but God, please, by the power of your spirit, strengthen us. God, lead us to forsaking our sin and truly repenting, not taking it with us another week as if it's not a big deal. Father, whatever it is in this place, Father, I pray now that you would search my heart and mind, search the hearts and minds of my brothers and sisters, and lead us in the way everlasting. Please, God, forgive us when we sin and rebel against you, Lord. Forgive us when we treat our sin as if it's small. Lord, it's our sin that cost Christ his very life. And we minimize it, Lord. We minimize the sacrifice. God, please, I beg it of you, let this be a time of searching your people. God, please. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Todd Young with Greensburg Baptist Church. Thank you for joining us today. If you've accepted Christ during today's podcast, we would love to hear from you and connect you with a home church in your area. Or if you have questions regarding a relationship with Christ, Brother Blake and I would love to speak with you. Please contact us at the church office at 270-932-4495 or connect with us through our website at greensburgbaptist.com. In addition, you may visit our website anytime to access the sermon videos and podcast of any recent sermon. You may also subscribe to our podcast in the iTunes store. Have a great day today.